Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Country Music Made Me. Thank you so much for joining us once again. As always, please be sure to like, share, follow, subscribe to us wherever you are listening. Leave us a review, a rating, tell your friends, your family, your neighbors to come on over and have a listen. That support is huge. Today, we're sitting down with Chase Bryant. Now, music has been a part of his life ever since he was two or three when he got his first guitar from his parents. Ever since then, music has been a presence. It's been a very up and down journey, and I want to warn our listeners that we do talk about Chase's suicide attempt during the episode, so viewer discretion is advised. That was the lowest point in his life, but since then, he has worked on himself and he is working on the type of music that he wants to create that makes him happy with the people that he wants to create it with. So please enjoy our conversation with Chase Bryant. Yeah, I've got a friend, uh, a great friend. His name is Russell Harvison, and he's got a beautiful ranch outside of Austin. And myself and John Randall, Rodney Clawson, the Warren brothers, Eric Dillon and Lance Miller, a lot of better riders than I. <laughs> um, we were out there doing this, doing this riding trip for like four or five days. So I'm still recovering from that too. Oh man. And so with the writing, are you writing, looking towards another project or are you writing right now to just get that spark and find that inspiration of the one song that's going to help take you forward to the next project? No, I mean, I think I've already written I, I, I Okay. So I think I've written three songs that have led me into the next record. Um, and that's what sparked you know, let's get a bunch of guys together and see what we can come up with. I had this very odd idea as to how I wanted to write my next record. And, um, yeah, I've never really shared it with anybody, but I mean, I'll share it. it. It was, have you ever seen the movie, no country for old men? I've seen parts of it. I've never actually seen it all the way through. Yeah. Okay. So highly recommended. It. It's the killer movie. I was watching that movie one night and, um, I was like, how can I write a record that feels there? So there are so there are so many like visceral moments of that, right. like nostalgic moments in that movie, but also the scenery, like when he's in Mexico, like the hotels and the, and people would probably listen to me now. Like, you want to write a record about killing? No, it's not about <laughs> that at all. I want to write a record that feels like that feels like these border towns in Mexico, you know, something that could be a little potentially like a little lighter, but the heartbreak songs are more a little darker, you know? And right. uh, I mean, not darker, like what I've been through in my past, but yeah. you know, I'll just say like, you know what I mean? Like, I just wanted, I wanted to make, I wanted to conceptualize a record around something. And since I'm here in South Texas, there's so much history and it just brings out this other part of me in writing that I've never found before you know right yeah yeah I can definitely see it just the like the imagery that pops into your head when you're listening that takes you back to that yeah. that sort of area right yeah 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 so we're you know we're we're writing another one I mean I, I'm probably I've probably got five or six songs we just wrote a couple great songs this week I gotta tell you this we wrote this we wrote this awesome song called since you've been gone I've been to Shell and back. 
<laughs> that is <So> awesome. <laughs> I can't wait to hear that. You should post a clip as soon as you can on your Instagram. Yeah, I should, right? Yeah, man. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, you mentioned the dark past. Um, mm -hmm. On Country Music Made Me, I love to dive into the past, but yeah. I want to go way before that. I want to get the whole journey because you have had an interesting journey and things that I didn't even know about until I started researching you yeah. that are really fun to talk about. So I want to talk way back when you're three or four and your parents get you a mandolin. Yeah. Do you, do you remember that time in your life and what music meant for you? Or is it just sort of bits and pieces of what you've been told about that time that you remember? No, I mean, oddly enough, well, funny enough, when you say like you research me and you find out things you didn't know, that's kind of how I feel sometimes. Like I research myself sometimes. I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. Or, or, you know, I, I look at it like, um, like, you know, there's just research as in the day to day adventure in, in your mind. It's like, I find out things now because things are a lot clearer now and not so blurry like they were for so long. I'm finding out new things. Yeah. But when it comes back to things like three or four years old, you know, with the mandolin that my parents brought, you know, and, and thinking about this, I need to correct that term. It was actually a tenor guitar, but my <laughs> okay. God, it's like a mandolin. It had four strings. It was close enough, you know? <laughs> so, uh, but man, I, I've started to figure out, you know, those, those moments like that were very, uh, like they were very climactic for that time. Like there was, you know, when I look at those days of my life, I remember that vividly sitting on this purple and green and red flowery couch that my parents had in the 90s that was awful, but, you know, was great too at the same time as what we grew up on. But, um, you know, I remember them opening up that little cardboard box and there it is. And there's a picture of my dad and me and my brother. And I just remember that as in like, that was kind of like my first douse into music was sitting there opening that box going, oh, well, here's a world of endless possibilities. Right. And people think that I would sound ridiculous for saying here's a world of endless possibilities at three years old, two or three years old. But man, no, like I was very much that old soul from the time I was a kid. My favorite line was when I was older. <laughs> so to say I believe in reincarnation is uh is a is a, is not far-fetched you know right yeah and you come from a musical family your grandfather was a well-known session player in nashville and played with roy orbison and then your uncles were founding members of the group ricochet now were you sort of a part of that or were they off on their own journey sort of away from the family and you weren't really aware of that situation like did that musical influence come in at a young age or was it more on the outside well so my grandfather right like my grandfather realistically was more of a texas guy he was playing with roy in texas in high school and that ended before roy went to sun records well, the, i think the day he went to sun records if i'm oh, not okay if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken and then Waylon in college and you know all sorts of really cool things like that now obviously those are only stories that i got but i'm i'm so into stories that i live through them right it's like paint me like use me as a canvas and paint it all over me and i want to be able to tell that story you know like i want to be the canvas that tells the story and so i lived through that now my uncles in the 90s i saw a lot of that oh okay you know i saw a lot of a lot of um 
you know, shows and so on and so forth. So it was very evident that music was a, was a possibility now that it was in my blood. You know, I don't know if any of that's really like just in your blood. You know, I hear people say, well, boy, you're born with the blues. No, you're not. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, you got to go through something. You got to live something. You know, my family it inspired me, my uncles and my grandfather, because I was looking at it like those were heroes. You know, those were, those were, I looked at it like that or my dad being a cowboy, like, whoa, you know, like, you know, I, there's, it was like, it was right in front of me. Right. And it sounded, and it looked cool and it <laughs> sounded cool. You know, I mean, I didn't know about Coors Lattes when I was that young, but at the time <laughs> it sounded cool, you know? <laughs> so, but no, I mean, it was just, it was very evident, man, that, that, that I just couldn't do anything else. It's what I wanted to do. It's what I had to do, you know? And your first guitar, is it one you built? I read that you wanted a Stratocaster, but you couldn't afford it. So you built your own guitar. Is that true? Partially, yes. <laughs> what happened was, so my parents had known that I was, you know, playing upside down and backwards. And maybe it's better for a left-handed guitar or something, you know. And right. I don't think my dad maybe knew as much as my mom knew about music because my mom was a singer and grew up around all the music. And, um, and so I just kind of piecemealed it. Now, what's funny is that guitar was still around and I actually did, you know, like the, uh, did the dirty with that guitar is where people would say, don't ever get rid of your first guitar. I actually, my dad sent me a picture of it the other day. It was like, you want it? I was like, no, throw it away. I was <laughs> trying to like outrun you know, that part of my, you know, I'm, I'm trying to like, in my life, I'm trying to realize how to like move, just move forward with things instead of go backwards with things. You right. Know, that's my issue really. And so, but that guitar, I hit on the frets under each string, I had wrote the notes one to 12 or zero to 12. And now looking at it, they were all wrong. Like, <laughs> I don't know what book I was reading, but it was not right. So you know, it was all self-taught on this guitar that was kind of botched together. And there was a, 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 high, a high school musical director um, or band director. And when I had him in junior high, he kind of helped me piecemeal some things on that guitar to make it more feasible for me to use, like locking down the volume controls where my arm wouldn't hit it because I was backwards. And, right. You know, so it was my first job at tinkering. You know? <laughs> and talking about tinkering, did you also build a bit of a recording studio in an empty closet in your house at one point? I did, man. Um, when I was in, uh, when I was in Nashville, I had this basement apartment which i missed so much like i wish i still owned that house um it was a cool house and downstairs is his basement and, and above me was this guy who, who his name was dan mccorse and he was he was signed to like rca or warner brothers or something like back in the late 60s 70s oh okay and he was a super great country you know kind of campfire country guy cowboy songs and uh but then he played with like junior brown he lived above me and below me, the staircase would come down into this basement. And underneath that basement was this kind of, you know, one side was high and it kind of followed the stairs and went back. Yeah. And it was just this little cupboard like Harry Potter. You know, <laughs> when he lived under that staircase, like in the first movie. Yeah. And uh, I put a little desk in there and had my computer and, and stapled blankets to everything and deadened it. And it was awesome. It was really, really cool, man. And that's where 
a lot of the programming and things like that, like I'm taking on back and some of that stuff, early stuff that really never even came out. A lot of it, I would, I was just doing it right there. Wow. So you were always interested sort of in all facets of the music. It wasn't just necessarily the singing and the guitar. You were interested in sort of the whole process of it. Oh, absolutely. I idolize Pharrell and guys like, you know, Daft Punk who, who've done those kind of things. Tom Petty, again, he was, you know, he produced Johnny Cash and Dan Lanois and stuff like that. That influenced me. Chet Atkins, you know, these guys who were producing great records, but also had um, an, an, an awesome, you know, beyond amazing artist career. That's, that's what was really moving me at the time. And, and so, um, yeah, you know, nobody's necessarily called me to make any records on them, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, that's always been my, my goal is to have a studio at home where I can bring people into my world that I think is really cool and, and, and obviously and really fun, you know, uh, and make records, you know, this last record, did I read that you built the studio and it was actually in the house where your dad grew up? Yeah. Okay. So the next record, I'm not budging. I'm cutting the record here at my house. And, uh, the last record we made at Willie's up in Ireland at, at, uh, at, in Austin at Ireland studios where he cut redheaded stranger, but we built this studio and the, uh, my granddad had a pool hall outside where they'd shoot pool and stuff. And, um, with his farm and buddies and the kids could go out and play. And my dad was one of six. So they got there and played. So, when I bought the house, I was like, man, this is awesome. I'm going to, I'm going to knock this out and turn this into a studio. And then to kind of revert into the uh, closet studio, there's a bedroom in my house upstairs. I've got like five or six bedrooms upstairs. And so one of the bedrooms, one of the smaller ones, I took it and this is going to be like my escape from the studio coming here and just have a broken down, very simple, like what I would have had in the beginning uh, studio too, where it kind of, you know, I can kind of get inspired in both worlds. Nice. That's awesome. And you talk about that, that move to Nashville where you had that first little makeshift studio, but before that, there was some time in LA. Now talk about that time. Was that still a, were you still within the country realm or during that time, was that sort of a different time musically for you? I mean, nobody will ever hear it if I have my say, but, (laughs) (laughs) but, but, uh, I was signed to a record deal when I was like late 15, early 16. Yeah. I was at this record label. It was a disaster. It was an absolute disaster. I mean, I, I think those guys would say it too. It was an absolute disaster. Uh, they had signed the Doobie brothers and I was living in the studio I was literally living right upstairs in a loft above the studio. And man, you could go down there and Slash would be there one day playing guitar. <laughs> one day Edgar Winter would be there with Johnny Winter. And the next day it could be uh, John McPhee from the Doobie Brothers. And the Doobie Brothers are all in there. Uh, people from Dr. Drew's Celebrity Rehab. Now, people say, I haven't seen some shit in my life. Boy, I've seen it. It was all kind of things just floating through the studio. So my musical influences started obviously changing. So it was very like rock and roll country. Like 
if, like Cadillac Three is now. Oh, okay. Like I'm not saying that they took anything from me. I love Jaron. Jaron's light years of a more brilliant human being on the spot than I could ever be. Like that guy is so great. And Neil and and Kelby, those guys are amazing. But that, you know, that's kind of what it was like. Um, and then I was going out playing it got to do a handful of shows with the Doobie brothers and it was like them and cheap trick and grand funk railroad and war. And I'm dude, I'm like 16 between 16 and 18. We'd go out and do these little winery things. And, um, people always said, well, that I was in the band and I was never in the band. I got to go up and sit in and do things like that and got to open for them. And, and it was an awesome experience, but, uh, it influenced my music to be something different. And, um, at about 18, I decided I'm out here playing with a bunch of old men. I got to, no, I'm just kidding, but I got to get to Nashville, you know, and, but I took the LA offer just because it was nothing more than it got me out of high school and it got me, um, on my own two feet in LA, you know, and it just started my career, you know, and I always heard of the cool rock and rollers that started out there. So I thought, well, that'd be cool. Right. And so throughout that time, growing up and then throughout that time in LA and moving to Nashville, the early time in Nashville, because you had grown up around these musicians, like you say, you had seen that world and it looked cool. So within that time, were you doing it because you loved it? Or were you doing it because you thought that it was something that you should be doing because it's what your family was doing and maybe what they wanted you to do? No, you know, I think I kind of got over the whole family thing pretty fast. You know, I think it was more like I'm not – I mean, my, my uncle Junior was a great fiddle player and a great – he could dance on stage and he could sing these massively high harmonies. And Jeff, the drummer, he was killer. So I was like, I can't do that. You know, I just got to figure out where I'm going. And uh, and so I just, you know, started writing these little catchy tunes. And, you know, but I think I was – you know, I think I was kind of writing and think I was kind of in this headspace of like, what's happening now? Like, what's hot now? Let me do that. Right. Where as to now, it's like, what do I want to say today? You know what I mean? Like, I'll wake up some days and just say, I want to write a song about Mexico. Not, I want to write a song like this song on the charts. You know, that became so force fed that, you know, and I think a lot of times I blame that on Nashville. But I think realistically, I need to blame it on myself because Nashville's, you know, you can't call it stupid because they're the ones cranking it out, you know, in Nashville. They're, Nashville is cranking out Nashville. Right. Uh, and, and you become a part of that system if you choose to. You know, and you think about like Johnny Cash saying, you know, he, he, did, he wasn't going to give into that. He was going to do what he was going to do, how he was going to do it. And I think there's ways to do that and not be a complete pardon me, but jackass. And then there's ways to do it uh, where you are a jackass and nobody likes you. And so I think I had both. I think I did it in ways that I tried to be nice and then did it in ways where I came off as an asshole. Right. But I think I was so tired of this, you know, machine. It's like a cotton gin. It's like you get you get this cotton in there and you, it's like you put this cotton into a machine and that gin's pulling out the bad stuff and throwing it and oh this looks okay well this will make it you know it's like that's kind of what i felt it was like a machine and there's nothing wrong with that it's business but it wasn't the business that i wanted to be a part of i wanted to grow my own business you know 
And so is that when the demons started to creep in more when sort of that business side took over and you're trying to figure out who you are and fight this machine at the same time and, and kind of navigate that? Is that when things started to sort of turn for you? I think so. I mean, I think it was a lot of that. I think it was things not going my way and, and not the way I thought it was going to be. And I was, you know, people were like, man, he moved to Nashville two years ago and look at him. He's got a top 20 hit on radio. It's like, no, I've been, this, it didn't just happen because I moved to Nashville. I've been working on this since I was a child, you know, I mean, before I can remember I was writing songs and, and, and playing in little bands and doing everything I could to do something. Um, and hell, I'm still trying to make it work. I'll be 29 in a couple of weeks. And I feel like I've been doing it for well over 15 years. So it's just a matter of, I think it all started getting to me, everything, my past, things that happened in my past, uh, it just, things I didn't take care of started creeping up on me because I was sinking in the misery of it not working, you know? Right. And having to accept the fact that it might not work, you know? And so when the demons got too much, you wrote out a note, a very long note to basically everyone you loved. Now, I know that that is the emotional part of this journey for you. Now, when you were writing out that note, was there, was there every, ever times where you looked at it and sort of realized what you were leaving and, and thought, I can't do this. Or were you just so far gone that it was like, that doesn't matter. I just want the voices in my head. I just want it to yeah. all stop. Well, you know, you look at the things you're leaving at the time and it was like, it's both. It's like, you look at the things you're leaving and you go, well, shit, I'm not doing any good fighting for it. Uh, you know, I'm trying to fight and I'm not doing any good in that sake. It's like, no, but you know, it's like, I don't hear what I'm saying isn't heard and what I'm hearing isn't said sometimes, you know? And it's like, so I looked at that, but then there was a part, the other part that was more consuming was the fact that I was so gone. You know, it was like, you just, it was, it was inevitable that it was going to happen. I mean, there was no, there was no waking up and saying, today's going to be a great day. Like that never happened for me. And never did. Not that once. I, I'm telling you, I remember it. Once a little bit of you happened. There were so many days of I don't remember. There were so many blurry moments. There were so many. I mean, I was living a rock. I was living a life of rock and roll. You know right. what I mean? It's like, you know, like I look at these kids now who are doing it and kids. I mean, I guess I'm still a kid to some regard to some people, but it's like I look at it and I'm like, man stop talking about being rock and roll. That wasn't rock and roll, you know? And then it's like, I look at it like, but why was I doing that? And I was doing it because I was miserable, you right. know? I mean, man, if I had a beer then it was to, it was to drown something out. If I have a beer now, it's because I just mowed the grass and it's 900 degrees outside and I just want a beer, you know, back then it was like, give me anything that'll take my, you know, take my brain off of this subject, you know, and uh, it was a long road, but yes, it was like, I'm too far gone. You know, like I've, I've already, 
I, I thought I had put in the work and, and I just was like, I can't talk about it. I don't want to talk about it to anybody. I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to do what I have to do. So, yeah, I think it, it consumed me enough to where it started creeping in on, on that, the every day of like, okay, today's the day, you know, and I try to fight that for a little while and the next day it'd be, but, but no, yesterday was now today's the next day it needs to happen. It, you know, it was like, man, the voices in your head are a real thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And so when the day came, mm-hmm. you're sitting in that gas station parking lot mm-hmm. and the attempt fails. You find mm-hmm. there's no bullet in the chamber. What was it within you at that point that made you stop and yeah. not try again? I don't know. You know, I've thought about that. At the time, I, I used to think, like, why didn't you just go back and, you know, you could have fired five more times and it would have hit every time. But and there was that instance of, like, hearing God, like, where I I don't know. I just said, I just heard this kind of voice inside me say, life's too short, don't make it shorter. And that was this gratifying jaw dropping, you know, moment that just changed me forever. You know, I mean, was it all right then? No. Was I all right for the next year? No. You know, but it, it was, it allowed me to understand that I do have a purpose and that my purpose is important just as anybody's is. And quite frankly, I just wanted to do something for somebody that not a whole lot of people ever did for me. You know, I, I just, I just wanted to be that, that empty chamber for somebody. And I've said that before now, you know, I don't want to be repetitive, but it really is. I mean, I don't know how it was empty. You know, I, I wouldn't say I'm a gun expert, but I know a lot about it. I've got a hunting closet here full of them. I mean, I, I, I you know, it's like, man, not to be too faith driven here, but it's like, don't play with the devil too long. You know what I mean? And I did it for a long time. And sometimes God's got you back. And when he does, you got to know, or whatever it is that you believe, somebody's got your back and somebody's watching you because they were me. And that didn't have to happen. You know, I've done a lot of bad things in my life that I, that I, don't necessarily regret because I got everything I've done has got me here, bad decisions, good decisions, you know, but somebody's looking out for us, you know, whether we all want to agree that's God or somebody said, well, it's Buddha or some dude on a rock in my garden. You know, that was pure luck. I can't tell you how it happened unless I was, you know, so blown out of my mind that I didn't realize there were only five bullets in it. Regardless, that was enough luck to understand I got to get my, my, my life together and I've got to start making some, some honest moves and uh, I got to quit, you know, dancing with the wrong person. You know, it's time to, to be who I always wanted to be to its full, uh, full capacity and not just, uh, not just half of it, you know? And after you sat in that parking lot for however long, what was the very first thing you did? Was there someone, was someone the very first person you went to after that? Uh, yeah, I mean, sort of. I mean, I went to my parents and was like, you know, hey, take all the guns out. You know, I, I don't need to be around them for a bit. 
but I think I really just nested on myself. It was something that I needed to take care of myself and not put my debt on everybody else. You know, I didn't, you know, I was broken and, uh, you know, I just kind of looked at it as like a desert, like, how do I make this thing grow? Right. You know, how do I, how do I put rain in this thing? And, um, and so I think I, you know, yeah, I relied on some people to get me help, you know, to help me find help. Um, but as far as the steps moving forward, nobody was there in therapy, holding my hand, you know, other, other than the therapist that would have told me that this mustache looks stupid. And I would have told them that I burnt my facial hair on a barbecue and this one I got left, but you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was just a lot of, um, making the right moves for yourself. I mean, my manager, Nick Hartley, and um, a lady at the old record company, uh, my old record company, Broken Bows, Shelly Hargis, uh, knew a lot about people in Nashville who I could go see, and mm. they regularly checked in on me. And, uh, and I mean, I owe Nick my entire career. I mean, he was just integral in, in helping me find myself, you know? And so how long did it take you to get back in a headspace of music like yeah. right after did you know that you wanted to do music again and just kind of had to get there or did it take some time to realize that yes i want to do it again well uh, right after that i went on a trip down here actually just a few miles up the road on this ranch with my buddy stephen wilson and, and uh, travis hill or scooter caruso and we wrote this song called Feel Like Dying, which is this really absurdly dark song with a lot of hope. But that's when I was like, all right, I need to write these kind of songs. I need to write honesty. You know, I need to write songs that kind of take me back in time a little bit so I can get all that out, be done with that, move forward now, you know? Uh, and so that was, it didn't take long, probably weeks after you know, obviously I went in to, to, uh, you know, the, into treatment basically. And then, and then therapy. And then after that, I kind of started writing again. And I would have said it was probably two, three months. I was, you know, I was like, let's do it, you know? And you had a video on your Instagram from, it was 5.00 AM and you were driving to pick up John Randall to yeah. drive to the studio. That was like the first point that you were driving to the studio to get this thing going. What was that feeling like? Do you still remember that and what that was like making that drive to pick him up? Dude, I, I try telling John sometimes, maybe he sees this and watches it long enough, but I'm telling you, I love that dude more than most people in the world. I mean, he, he is my, he's like, my hero of heroes. He's got the greatest stories, knows more about a guitar than anybody I know, writes some of my favorite songs there ever were, plug, go listen to his record. It's amazing. But going to pick him up and getting on that drive, what happened on that drive from there to Austin, dude, you, I mean, like, you can't even put it into words. It was like, we're listening to records for hours, I've got my windows down in my brand new truck I bought to drive down there smoking tons of cigarettes and like just whatever. <laughs> Whenever we get there, we get there. Whatever happens, happens. You know, we're going two days before we start the record. God, it was just like, if I could go back and relive that moment, if anybody could live that moment, 
you would understand exactly why it was just one of the most like i'm gonna use this word again like climactic okay the guitar when you're a kid making a record with john randall who's one of my my he's like my best he's like a brother not even a best friend he's my brother it was like it was just like man this is it you know this is amazing and and, and quite frankly like when you're talking about that like seriously i i john and i wrote last week it was like man just come down write some songs with me come make a record with me down here let's just me and you post up and make a record and man like thinking about that like i would have to find some way to say hey come down here two days early you know <laughs> let's create that moment again or this record's gonna suck maybe this time we do it for three days though you know right my record nine will have like 11 days that we have to leave before records. <laughs> exactly. And so going into the studio for this record, how different did it feel from the past? Was it just like a totally different you, a totally different experience? Well, yeah. And I'm in the room with some heavy hitters. You know, I'm in the room with like, I'm in the room with, um, okay, I'll tell you, tell you this story. Charlie Sexton. People have got to freaking research him. I mean, he he is he is the face of rock and roll. He is the story of rock and roll. Like his story is so amazing. His his career was incredible. His career is still incredible. I looked at him in the studio one day because you know when you're in Nashville and like you go in a session, and everybody's like, "Hey man, what do you got on your pedal board? What are you drinking your coffee <laughs> cup? You want to go to Starbucks?" You know, it's like. This dude was like, I walk in and we're sitting down. I'm like, hey, Charlie, what's, you know, what's down there on your pedal board? And he's like, I ain't here to talk about gear. I'm here to play on your record. You know, like <laughs> it was that kind of thing. And it was like, I'm back in the wild west. Right. You know, put my guns back, you know? <laughs> it was like, man, it was rad because it was like, these guys are honest, real deal. Like they're not just in a studio every day. They're playing in great bands. And it was just, man, it was awesome. I mean, it was this whole other feeling. And, you know, I had to play bass and guitar and keys and organ and this and that and sing and blah, 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 blah. It was like, it was a lot of stuff I'd committed myself to, you know, and it was like, you better prove it now, you know? So, yeah. That is amazing. Well, congratulations on everything. Upbringing is the new album. Man, thanks for talking. This has been awesome. Thank you once again so much for listening and thank you to Chase for stopping by and sharing his emotional journey in such an open way. Be sure to check out his new album, Upbringing, wherever you stream your music. Also, please, if you are struggling in any way, be sure to reach out for help. Reach out to someone you love, reach out to someone who loves you, reach out to a professional. Just know there are people available if you need to talk. Thank you once again for listening. And we'll see you next time on Country Music Made Me. Mm -hmm.